Hello, and welcome to Dungeons and Drama Nerds. I'm Nick, and I'm here with Percy. Hi. And Todd. Howdy. And today, we're kicking off the third campaign of our first season. We're going to be playing Paranoia, originally designed and written by Greg Kostikian, Dan Gelber, and Eric Goldberg, and first published in 1984 by West End Games. Since 2004, the game has been published under license by Mongoose Publishing, and the version we're playing was written by James Wallace, Grant Howitt, and Paul Dean. Now, Paranoia is a science fiction comedy horror game set in a world called Alpha Complex, where the computer is your friend and you are a troubleshooter there to literally shoot trouble and do what the friend computer asks of you. So let's dive in and talk a little bit about gameplay, starting with character creation. So as stated, uh, you play as a troubleshooter. Your job is to shoot trouble, quite literally. There are four main stats in Paranoia. They are violence, which is uh, your ability to do violence. It could it applies to combat, physical fitness. Um, think of it like strength and constitution kind of rolled into one, but um, zanier, I guess. Um, the second stat is brains, uh, which is things having to do with intelligence, perception, knowledge, intuition, your ability to solve problems. The third stat is mechanics, which is your relationship to robots, computers, other digital things. Uh, and the fourth stat is chutzpah, which is your uh, charisma, your social wit, your ability to persuade and charm people. And you use those stats along with your skill stats to calculate your node, which is your number of dice, dice number. Um, something that I think is pretty nifty about paranoia is that the character creation happens at the table, um, kind of like apocalypse world um, and kind of very not in many ways. Um <laughs> You're all making your characters simultaneously. So you have a character sheet and you go around the table um, and you uh, pick a skill that you want a plus one in. Um, and by getting a plus one in that skill, let's say operate, um, you assign the person, I believe, to your left a minus one in that operate skill. And so everybody goes around picking a plus for themselves and a minus for one of their teammates. And you go plus one, plus two, plus three, plus four, plus five, which sets you up with your base stats. But it means that you have both positive traits and negative traits that are influenced by the players that are next to you, which is very interesting. And then these skills fall under each of the stats. So for instance, operate, engineer, program, and demolitions all fall under the mechanics stat. Um, the way you get your stats after you've done all of your plus ones through fives is you add up or you count up um, how many positive stats you have under a skill. So if you have plus one to charm, plus two to bluff, zero to intimidate, and minus five in stealth under chutzpah, you'd end up with a chutzpah stat of two, um, which is weird, uh, but fun. And then as Percy was saying, um, to make your node, um, you're going to add like your chutzpah to uh, plus two for charm and roll a charm roll, if that's what you're doing. Now here things get a little complicated during your party creation. Um, once you've selected all of your skills and totaled up your stats, you pass your character sheet to the player next to you and they rearrange some of your stats. Um, this is an excellent chance to backstab your party who gave you that minus five in stealth, how dare they? And it's an interesting way to like mix up what's gonna happen. 
One of the last things you can do when generating your character is to spend moxie or clones to increase your stats. We'll talk about uh, moxie a little bit later, but your clones are exactly what they sound like. They are cloned versions of your character's body. Uh, and if you should happen to die while being a troubleshooter in the service of friend computer, uh, a clone to replace you will be delivered immediately to your location, and you start out with six of these. So you can choose to burn them uh, to raise your stats a little bit to say, oh, my character already lived through one clone body and learned some things and got better. Uh, but then you will have fewer extra lives, essentially, when you're out shooting trouble and uh in in the game when you have been killed by being dismembered falling from a great height being turned in by your team for activities treasonous to friend computer or what have you uh you will be immediately replaced by one of those clone bodies that will be delivered to your location your to your team's location by vacuum tube and it's important to know that you only have those six once you're out of those six your character is officially dead at that point unless you have green clearance and you've purchased additional clones. And it's also important to note that it is less a matter of if you will die in a game of paranoia and more a matter of when you will die in a game of paranoia. Um, mm -hmm. So the actual mechanics of gameplay uh, circulate around a kind of dice pool system. You calculate your node, which stands for number of dice, using uh, your stat plus your skill, and then you always, in addition, roll a computer die. Um, so essentially what you want to do is you calculate however many dice you have to roll, you roll all of them, and then you count how many fives or sixes you get in your pool. Um, fives and sixes both count as successes, and then you want to compare that number to whatever the GM has decided, however hard whatever you're trying to do is. And that is how you decide uh, success or failure in a game of paranoia. If you roll a, uh, a one on the computer die, that means that friend computer notices you. This might freak you out, but maybe it'll be fine. Um, all, you know, all, all we know for sure is that you want to avoid getting treason stars, which is a measure of how much the computer trusts you. And you sure don't want the computer to stop trusting you. It is possible to have a negative node. Uh, if that's the case, rather than counting your number of successes, uh, any d number that you roll that is not a success, that is a one through a four, uh, removes successes, which makes it kind of a riskier endeavor and more likely that you will fail, but could be really, really good. Who knows? Well, and something I think is interesting is that like you might have better chances of success with a node negative five than you would with a node one. And so something that you're like kind of passably good at, you could get one success, but that might not be enough. But you could do something you're very bad at and luck into um, mm -hmm. a surprising turn of events. And I think that that's one of the fun, weird mechanics of this game is that it allows for like gaming the system. Like if you can make a justification for why something falls under a certain stat, you can do it. Um, but things go terribly wrong all the time. And so like doing something hilariously absurd is kind of the point of the game. Yeah. yeah, I think that's my favorite. One of my favorite things about the system is that um, let's say you wanted to activate a grenade and let's say you have a really, really bad demolitions 
skill score, but you have a really, really good throw. So you could make a justification. And that's kind of an easy one. But you could say to the GM, like, hey, um, I throw it so hard that it activates. Can I roll using my throw number instead of my demolitions number? And in addition to that kind of creative thinking about how to use your skills, I think it's worth saying that the game also encourages players to try to mix up their the pairing of skills and stats. So, for example, guns normally falls logically under violence, but they say it should be something that you're trying to do uh, to say, oh, I want to talk to this guy who loves guns and like buddy up to him because we're both gun nuts. They go back to this example a lot. I don't know why they're like obsessed <laughs> with talking with people talking about guns. Um, but you can then say, I want to roll my guns plus chutzpah because I know a shit ton about guns. So I should be able to like do shop talk with this guy. And they encourage you to kind of like try to swap things around in bizarre and weird seeming ways um, with the understanding that like, if it doesn't make a lot of sense, it might just be harder than doing the straightforward thing. But also it could be great because maybe you can pair some stats together that help you do something more interesting or fun or likely to succeed than just I hit the thing with my stick or I shoot the thing with my laser gun. I will offer that I'm not surprised that uh, three men who made a game in which your job is to shoot trouble uh, really like to talk about guns. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they, they really like to think about people talking about guns in a role playing game. <laughs> That's... I, there are a lot of guns. Well, there aren't necessarily a lot of guns in this game, I guess. Everyone gets one, though. Yeah, it's it's your standard troubleshooter equipment is a jumpsuit and a gun. So there's <laughs> there's enough guns, sufficient yeah. guns. There's sufficient guns per party. Um, moving on, we have our moxie points. Um, these moxie points you can use to uh, permanently improve skills. Um, you can re-roll your node um, for certain actions, or you can get extra dice for your node by using moxie. Um, you can also use moxie to activate mutant powers if you have them, but it's important to know, and again, we're stressing this, if you are a mutant, you are a traitor. And that is treasonous to friend computer and you will be executed. Um, so you don't want to do that if you're unlucky enough to have mutant powers, or at least you don't want to do it in a way that your party could recognize it if you have a mutant power. It's also important to know that your moxie uh, as representing how like with it you are and how cool you are under pressure, um, you lose moxie when you roll a computer on the computer die. So that's a one on your computer die. Um, and friend computer kind of gets up in your business and says, hey, what you doing over there? Um, and that might freak you out a little bit, especially if you're doing something against friend computer's wishes. Um, or if you experience something particularly unpleasant or terrible at the GM's discretion, you might lose some moxie if everyone in your group gets vaporized by a cool bot going off randomly. Um, that's something that you just want to like keep an eye on. So moxie is here to represent your character's stress levels, and if you run out of moxie, you lose it, um, and you go a little AWOL uh, during your mission. Uh, and there's actually specific mechanics for how that works and like how you as the player are supposed to perform that and role play that when it happens um, and how you can talk someone down from losing it and so on. I think it's worthwhile to note that unlike clones, Moxie is something uh, that you can 
what's the word I'm looking for? Reclaim, get back, regain. Um, regain. Thank you, Percy. Um, you you can, uh, you know, while you are going to be exposed to a lot of stress on your missions, you can uh, rest for the night to regain a little bit of moxie. And you can also get things like bouncy bubble beverage. I think that's what they call it. Or, mm-hmm. or uh, hot fun beverage that can help <laughs> restore your moxie. Um And the way you purchase those things is with XP points, uh, which is the in-game currency. Uh, As they say very clearly in the rulebook, it's important to remember that XP, like a lot of acronyms in here, does not stand for anything. Any resemblance to anything else that it seems like it stands to is purely a a fluke of nature. Um, But XP points are awarded to your characters by friend computer when you successfully complete missions for the computer. Um, You can use them to buy physical things like those beverages I just mentioned or cooler weapons or armor to keep your clone alive a little longer or better living space. Um, But you can also use them to gain security clearance levels in the world of paranoia. All clones start out at infrared Uh, which is uh, the lowest security clearance level, but you all troubleshooters are at red clearance level. It's important to remember infrared is basically a uh, like drone worker clearance level. They are kept heavily drugged. Um, They have a very good time, but do only the simplest of jobs. And the computer has realized that for maximum operational efficiency, it's important for people at red clearance and above to have slightly faster processing speeds than the drugged up infrareds usually do. So you start at red and uh, with your XP XP points, you can climb the ranks all the way up through orange, yellow, green, blue, violet to ultraviolet, which is the clearance level granted to the high programmers who have access to the computer. And with each of those, you get perks for uh you know, new equipment that becomes available to you to purchase better living quarters, uh, more information about Alpha Complex in general, and basically just more access to the world to affect it as you would like. You also get a cake, which is really, I think, fun. Yes, I think that's only for... It's only you have for to yellow. Sp- yeah, you have to spend ex- more XP points for it, but um, for yellow, you can buy... When you buy yellow clearance, you can spend a little bit of extra XP to get cake and I think it's for green, but I don't remember. At some point above there, you can spend extra XP to get enough cake for your entire group, but only you are allowed to eat it. It's extremely good. <laughs> um, it's also worthwhile to note that the uh, ray guns that you get um, in this can only shoot your clearance level or lower. Um, so if you are red, you can only shoot red or lower troubleshooters, etc., cetera, um, which is interesting and weird. And a thing that we come up against because uh, in our campaign, um, some people are starting out at infrared, um, some people are orange. Um, there's there's a, a little array of different colors there. Probably I think the last big mechanical thing that we need to talk about, um, we've referenced it before, but uh, in the game of Paranoia, there are mutant powers and secret societies that you might have. Um, at the beginning of each game of Paranoia, everybody receives a card. Many of them, if not all of them, are blank, but that way nobody knows who has mutant powers or who belongs to a secret society. Um, both are incredibly treasonous. Uh, secret societies are 
what they sound like. They are groups that have been founded to serve some kind of purpose uh, aside from what the computer is asking of you. Some of them may even want to overthrow the computer, which is, of course, incredibly treasonous, and you would be executed for even thinking about overthrowing the computer. So don't do that. If you notice somebody using a mutant power or working with a secret society, you should turn them in for treason to be executed by friend computer. But if you belong to a secret society or you have mutant powers, uh, then you should... While keeping that a secret, do whatever it is that your secret society is asking of you. I personally love the secret societies. They range from the Illuminati to, I'm going to get their exact name wrong, but the, a very long named one that is the Alpha Society, like, or the Alpha Complex Society for Local Historical Research or <laughs> something like that, who basically mm -hmm. are just like, we want to know about the history of Alpha Complex. And the computer's like, that's a bad idea. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, there's like a church that worships friend computer. Uh, there's like a death thrash metal band. Yeah, they're into yeah. thrash metal and like partying and having a good time. Um, there's all sorts of different secret societies um, that you might or might not belong to. Which leads us very nicely into talking a little bit about the world of the game. So as we were saying before, the world of paranoia is a world of dark comedy. Um, it's absurdist. It's written in 1984 hilariously um the original version of this and has all of the uh fear of you know technology and corporations that that might lend you to believe um but takes it a little tongue-in-cheek um and assumes that perhaps uh our benevolent friend computer might not be as smart as we think they are um, in the future. How dare you, Todd? I was going to say, treason to Josh. note that Todd is going to be executed for treason now. Heck. I think that I really love about the Paranoia Handbook is that it is extremely funny. Like, I would read this for fun, honestly. Um, the world of Alpha Complex is full of contradictions and inefficiencies. Uh, pointing out contradictions is treason and is punishable by death, but knowing the rules in order to point out contradictions is also treason. Uh, you have been warned. Mm -hmm. There's a sequence in the second in the like gm section of the second edition where it's like if any of your players ever tries to tell you what the rules of the game are kill them it is treason <laughs> to know you need ultraviolet clearance are they ultraviolet no they just died oops <laughs> um, which i thought was great and is a very different tone than both like the the benevolent GM tone that we got from D and D, and the like, the players are contr in control. Stay in your fucking lane. That we got from Apocalypse World is this like very different and third iteration, which is like, we're here to have a good time. It should also be a little weird. Yeah, and I think the I think this most recent version of Paranoia backs off on that hostility a little mm -hmm. bit but it is only like in comparison to older editions of the game we might talk about that a little more in the episode where we dive into the mechanics and how it affects storytelling but it is definitely a very different vibe from either DD or apocalypse world yeah i think ultimately my my biggest like the way that i would describe it is just that it's like a lot more tongue in cheek. It takes itself mm -hmm. a lot less seriously than D and D and apocalypse world do. Um, mm -hmm. especially I think no spoilers, but I think our game of it is really lighthearted and really like shies away from taking things super seriously. 
Because if you're in a world where like you're ruled by a computer and there's pop-up ads in your field of vision all the time um, and it is so easy to die that you have readily available clones, like probably not going to, probably nothing's going to be too deep. Yeah. I think that in the Game Master's Handbook, there's a point where the authors of the the current edition of the game make a comparison that would have been impossible in 1984, but that, that I really like, where they compare friend computer to Clippy. Listeners who are old enough will remember Clippy, the uh, paperclip avatar that was in a bunch of editions of Microsoft Word, who would pop up to like attempt to help you do things and was consistently like in the way and unhelpful mm-hmm. and <laughs> the sort of worst possible predecessor to today's Siri and Cortana and other like user interface devices. Uh, and that has really helped me understand <laughs> the yeah. tone of the game. I also think for um, people who weren't on Word as much, like very similar to Navi in Ocarina of Time, yes. where she's like there to help you out. And whenever you actually need help, she has no information for you. But then she'll be like, hey, d- I noticed you've been doing this thing. Did you know that you could do it? And it's like, yeah, thanks, Navi. That was great. I love that. Thanks. Bye. One of the things that I think is important um, and that the gameplay stresses for the world is that the players have very limited information. Um, Most people don't have a holistic understanding of Alpha Complex. They usually only know the sector that they're from. They're often going into unfamiliar sectors. My character, Squick, uh, actually, should we talk about the names? your name is like this whole long call sign of information about you. And so my character Squick, uh, clearance level R from the big data emulator or BDE and number 001. So his whole name is Squick R BDE 001 has very, very little information about what he's doing. He has just come out of infrared um, status and has just seen the world for the first time without being high as balls. And then is being tasked with a very dangerous mission to go and retrieve some files for friend computer. Um, and that's like a fun entry point. But like he doesn't know shit about shit. And I played him like that. <laughs> and I think it's good to good to remember because this is such a fun kind of like sci fi future not only are you given limited information from you know like the handler but the computer also will actively withhold information for you because all of your clones have an implanted uh heads up display so the computer will pixelate out or otherwise like erase things that you're not allowed to look at as you are looking around Mm -hmm. the world around you it might just be like oh you can't that that thing you're looking at is treasonous. I'm going to wipe it like out of your thing. So, you know, OK, I'm holding something. And to me, it looks like a bunch of pixels. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. My favorite uh, bit about this in the um, in the rule book is that the, the computer automa- is a prude. So it automatically censors out uh, everybody's genitals, uh, which means that when mischievous death leopard hackers get up to things they reprogram paint bots to paint genitals on the walls but they just have them paint like giant swatches of pixels because that's all that they have ever seen that's hilarious it's extremely good 
Um, the last little bit that you need to know before you dive into our campaign of paranoia uh, is that there are achievements that you can unlock in the course of completing your missions that are worth additional XP. And they could be things like destroy this server on your way or complete the mission without killing anybody or whatever. Any variety of difficult or very easy or like very serious or very silly things. Um, and whoever accomplishes that first uh, gets the achievement, which means that they unlock more XP at the completion of their mission. Mm-hmm. And adds a little more like PVP vibe to the game. Um, because you want more XP. It's not like your whole party is getting 700 XP. No, if you no. do that sweet kickflip down the stairs, um, you get that bonus 100 XP, so that would be cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that just about covers all of the things that you need to know in order to uh, understand what's going on in a game of paranoia. Dungeons and Drama Nerds is produced by Todd Brian Backus, Percy Hornack, and Nick Orvis, and is mixed and edited by Anthony Sertel Dean. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at DNDramaNerds. Check out cast bios on our website, DungeonsAndDramaNerds.com, and tune in next week for another episode of Dungeons and Drama Nerds. 